Right? You're like, that buzzer ain't rang. That game ain't over with. So keep going. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I have thrived, you know, in that chaos. I told God I'll be back in a second. Man, it's so hard. How could this be happening? Did any of you guys pay attention to anything I said? Like, Get arrested, guess until he get the message. Welcome back to the Reckless CEO Podcast, where we keep it real, raw, and reckless about business and life. They ain't really got the sauce that I ain't got. You know what I mean? It's like, here is your host, the Reckless CEO himself, Michael McGovern. Baby, let's go. All right, my man. Let's Brian, go. I appreciate you coming in, man. And, dude, I'm, I'm, I feel like we got a lot of cool things to share. One, I'm super excited to be able to just introduce you to, you know, my people and the, you know, everyone that I know. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to see where the journey started, right? I know we haven't got to connect over the past, you know, this past year was a little less connection than we've had before. But, um, you know, I was actually just telling one of our guys this morning, I'm like, you know, outside of uh, my mentor, Ryan, I was like, when it comes to the leadership and disc assessments and hmm. all of those things, man, I think that you were like the guy that really started introduce me to those things that helped me to see more of a, a corporate structure to the entrepreneur business side. Yeah, man. All right. So that, yeah. that, that's been really cool, man. So, Brian, I'm excited to have you in, man. And, you know, uh, uh, share us a little bit of just um, yourself, right? I know you're, you're at Union Home. You've been there for how long? Yeah, uh, 20, over 22 years now, over 22 years. So, first of all, man, it's a, you know, it's an honor and a privilege to be on your show. Uh, I think uh, it was probably two, two or so years ago that Greg Ford introduced yeah. us and yeah. connected us. And, uh, you know, watching you go from, uh, selling your truck and moving to Columbus uh, to see the the incredible business that you've built and created in a very short period of time, man. I'm uh, very very impressed and blown away with your success, man. So kudos to you. You're you're one of the hardest working dudes that I've ever met in my life, and uh, probably one of the biggest risk takers as well. That's but true. <laughs> your, risk, your risks have been uh, paying off, dude. Yeah. So. Well, and I, and I think that that's the thing with risk, right? It's like sometimes risk is the the down payment for success. It is right. You've got to. You, sometimes you got to put it out there, and you know, and even with risk, I think it's not as riskful as you when you back it with action because it's all happens. What happens after the risk, mm-hmm. right? Do you take the risk and then hope it works out, or do you take the risk and make sure it works out? Yeah, it's got to be calculated. But I think that so many people want it to be so uh, figured out before mm-hmm. they're willing to get out into the water. Like yeah. people want to stay on the dock and they want to get out in the water at the same time. And you kind of get this straddle effect, right? Where you got one foot on the boat and one foot on the, on the deck and, and, and slowly <laughs> over time, it just, it, it's, it pulls you. And then yeah. most people just jump back to the deck because yeah. it's safer to be there than, than out in the middle of the water, but it, and you it's comfortable. You can't figure out everything out ahead of time. And that's what I love about you is that you know, you're like, I don't know exactly where this is going to take me in Columbus, Ohio, but I'm going to sell my truck. I'm going to figure out the steps as I go. Yeah. And I feel like so many people, um, you know, I'm a big John Maxwell fan, yep. and, and I hear John say this a lot, that, that most people want to go, ready, aim, 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 aim. They keep aiming to try to get their target right on that center mm-hmm. and and they never want to pull the trigger. Yeah. And you got to go ready aim fire and then whenever you miss then you go back and you re you reassess and you re-aim and then you yeah. fire again and you keep working to get it better and better. Yeah. But too many people want to aim too long, just pull the dang trigger. No, that's it. Yeah, you you have to, right? It's like pull the band-aid off kind of deal. You yeah. you've got to take that step. And like you said there's 
that's the big piece to it is like the calculated side to it, right? Because just out of ignorance, making decisions can't always be the best way, right? And, right. and that's one thing that I feel like it has helped me, especially with the growth with CRC, was that you know I was working with you and other mentors before CRC was even really a thing, right? Yep. I mean, when I met you, we had just we just started. I it had was the concept, right? It was just the concept, right? Yep. And so, but I had done a lot of research and studying and learned EOS models and all of these things that at least helped me to. Uh, it, it gave me insight behind the decisions I was making. So even though it was kind of like ready, ready shoot, you know, almost like ready fire aim sometimes, yep. um, but still was able to make those decisions because I had factual things behind it that it's like, okay, like at least I can see the way that it, well, that it goes. But here's the thing that I've, uh, that I've recognized about you, Mike, is that you have a hunger to learn and to get better and to improve and to learn from people that have already been uh, a little farther down the path than you. And I think it's an incredible characteristic that you have that a lot of people, they want to ready, aim, fire, but they don't want to have a coach or somebody yeah. that's already yeah. uh, a, a marksman standing behind them, giving them instructions mm-hmm. on how to hit that target. You are constantly reading, listening to podcasts, watching YouTubes, listening to the best of the best CEOs out there yeah. so that you can learn from their mistakes rather than just making them all yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. school of hard knocks, trial and error is the longest way to get to your yeah. destination. But if you can learn from the guys that have already been there before you, mm-hmm. coaches, I'm a huge, huge proponent of coaching. Yeah. You know, I pay tons of money for coaching and I had, uh, I've had many, many coaches over the years, and I still do. Yeah. And and I just want to learn from the guys that have already walked that path. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is there's like the ego to it, right? The ego of, of yeah, the willingness. Yeah, humility. Right, the willingness to learn from somebody. I say it all the time. It's like when we're growing up, you know, we've got teachers, we've got football coaches and hockey coaches, and you get into college and you still got coaches and teachers. But then all of a sudden it's like we get out into the real world and it's like, well, I don't need it anymore because I've, I already had it. it. I'll just figure it out. And it's like – that's just such a hard – you hit on the head. I've, I'm hungry for knowledge. Like I, I really do enjoy it, and I've got myself to the point now where you know, I say that most people I don't think are inherently lazy. I think they just haven't found a passion. They haven't found something that like gets them excited. Yeah, and they haven't found that other person that's done what they want to do, yeah. right? And you have to search out those mentors and those teachers. Sometimes it accidentally happens, but when you are passionate about learning and improving and you keep networking to find those folks mm. – you're going to find them. You know, um, the great, one of the greatest coaches of my life, Mike, I found when I was, I, was, I was searching at the end of 2010 for some new leadership and a new direction in my life. And, and you know, I'm, I'm reading emails, I'm clicking around on different things, and there's an online seminar for two days. And it costs like 200 bucks or whatever. And I clicked on it, and I jump on this, on this webinar, and nobody's really all that impactful. Mm. Everybody's talking about advertising and, and, you know, trying to find clients through internet. And it's just starting to get going with Facebook yeah. and Google, but nobody's really got the, the corner on this market. All of a sudden, the screen goes dark. There's no presentation. There's no webcam. There's no PowerPoint. This guy's big head pops up on the screen and he goes, I don't usually do this kind of stuff, but I'm a good friend of Sue Woodard and she asked me to come in and speak with you people. He said, if these presenters can't show you how to make a million dollars or more using their systems and techniques, then I don't know why anybody's listening to, the, to them in the first place. And I'm, I'm kind of paying attention, and I'm also putting a loan file together. Yeah. And I, like, literally, I drop this file, and I go, 
who is this crazy guy that just <laughs> insulted everybody ahead of him and after him yeah. in one statement? Yeah. I'm like, I want to know that guy, yeah. right? And I listened to him rant and rave for 30 minutes about his coaching program and all of his coaches, and then I picked up the phone. I gave him a call. Mm. It took me three weeks to get any time into his calendar, and all of a sudden I'm actually talking to the guy, and he starts telling me everything that I'm doing wrong as a salesperson, spending too much time pushing paper, too much time pushing keys on the keyboard, not enough time building relationships and seeing people face-to-face mm. breaking bread. And, and that was my introduction to a guy named Rick Ruby. Yeah. He, inter- he invited me to come to his, uh, his, his um, event in Asheville, North Carolina, May of 2011. And, and it just transformed my life. I met a bunch of just ordinary guys like us mm. that were getting extraordinary results mm. through having a proven sales strategy having a team-building strategy going back to discs and personality profiles and really getting the right people on the right seats in the bus, doing the right activities, and how to manage the dollars and cents, the P&Ls, the personal finances, and it transformed my life. Yeah, man. No, I love that. It, I, it's funny. It's actually, Reese has been looking to get into mentorship and coaching, right? That's been go. a big... That's a big thing here. Like self, you know, Personal development's a huge piece. I, I'm always telling the guys to you know get a mentor outside of me. Right. You've got to hear it from multiple people. You've yeah. got it. And, and that's where I've been just extremely fortunate to be able to be exposed to just some incredible leaders. Right. Yourself, Greg, Ryan, like these people that I've and I've got the ability to learn through osmosis, too, which is a, a, a great skill set. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously, you want to ask questions. You want somebody that can coach you. But some of the best learners can just watch. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I can watch Greg go speak. I can watch Greg go lead. He don't have to tell me what he's doing. I can I can see what he's doing. Yeah. Right. And and that's been a powerful thing for me is being able just to get in the room with these people. But like you said, it's it's when you start to to me, it's like the language you use. Right. When you start talking to the universe, you're talking to God, you're talking to people about looking for a mentor. You're you're actively looking for it. Like one of the hardest parts with finding somebody is not knowing what you're looking for. Yeah. Right. You've got to know what you're looking for in somebody because I think you can really get anything from anyone, but you got to know that what you're looking for, that person possesses. If you have an ear for it, you kind of, yo, there's this, there's the trigger, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then you start going down the path of following that individual. There's so many great leaders, but they're, they're, they're less and less every single day and every year. Yeah. And, and there's, there's young guys like yourself and, and others that are here that, that need to continue to pursue great leaders mm-hmm. and, and be a great leader. So, you know, I think in this society, people are getting lazier and lazier. It's easier to just sit back and do nothing and let somebody else take the responsibility. And the word responsibility is very scary to a lot of people, but the word responsibility is where all the growth happens. The more responsibility that you take on, the more that it forces you to get better. You have to produce results. You have to give reports. And when you take on the responsibility, which is really scary for most, man, that's where your growth opportunities come out. So uh, my the biggest leader in my life is Bill Cosgrove. He is the owner and CEO of Union Home Mortgage. I met Bill in the fall of 2001. Greatest greatest businessman, greatest leader, greatest mortgage ban- uh, banker on the planet. And, and I met Bill in the uh, fall of 2001. Prior to that, I was working at Wells Fargo, and I was part of this huge, huge bank nationally. I meet Bill, 
He's a sole owner of Union Home Mortgage. He just purchased the company from Monty Hegworth, his uh, predecessor, who was a, a strong German accent man who had strong German values. Yeah. And Bill bought the company from him. Uh, and I, I met him, I think he was like three or four years into his ownership. Yeah. There's only about 30 salespeople at the company at the time. And, and he starts telling me things about mortgage banking that nobody ever had to that point in my yeah. career made me a big promise. He said, Brian, if you join me, I'll take you to the major leagues of mortgage banking. Mm. And I did. I made the choice to join Bill as a greatest business decision of my life. I joined him in January of 2002. So I just finished 22 years with Bill. He was my original coach, original mentor, taught me all the things about taking ownership and responsibility about a year into my first uh, first year with Union Home, he calls me up. And I started to have some immediate success with the company, and I thought he was calling in, calling me in to uh, congratulate me or to you know give me a little pat on the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> he said, Brian, have a seat on the couch. I said, uh, absolutely, sir. He said, uh, tell me about processing and underwriting here at uh, Union Home. Now, all of my previous training was at Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo's training was, you know, you take a loan application, you throw it at other people and let them do the, the rest of the work. Mm-hmm. So when I went in, I started pointing my fingers at, well, processors, you know, if they could pick up the pace and, you know, if the underwriters could underwrite faster and if we could close these deals, and it was all about what other people could do. And he, he looks me straight in the eye, one of the best lessons I ever learned in my life. He said, Brian, he said, the longer that you point your fingers at other people, the longer it's going to take you to be great in this business. Mm. He said, if you don't take on the responsibility and the ownership for everything in that deal, you'll never be who you could be. And he taught me extreme ownership that day. And there's a lot of people that talk about it now, but that was back in 2003. Pre-Jocko. It was pre-Jocko and and I learned extreme ownership. And so I just said, you know what? I'm going to learn loan guidelines better than underwriters. I'm going to process the loan before I give it to the processor. I'm going to have that thing so teed up and so perfect that nobody else has to do anything because I'm going to own all of it. So when I started building my team, Mike, in 2011, I started putting people in place to do these time-consuming activities so that I could stay focused on relationship building Yeah, because that's the big job. Yeah, and it's the – it's simple. Right. But it, it, it's the thing that it's even though it's simple, don't make it easy. Right. It, it's you've got to be intentional. You've got to be able to uh, be consistent with people and show up. And, you know, talking about the extreme ownership stuff, you know, I tell all of our people, I'm like, just exceed expectations. That's all you got to do. Like it, it's the it's the take the trash out. It's the wash the dishes. It's like it's these little things that when you start to do it, you, you start to stack your certainty and you're not doing it out of spite of like, watch me. Right. For me, I'm always looking just because that's just my radar. Right. I'm like, oh, I can take the trash out. Trash needs emptied out. Like I never do it to say, you know, everyone look at me. I'm the leader and I'm clean. And it's like, no, that's just I'll never ask somebody to do something that I wouldn't do. And, yeah. and if you can start to exceed expectations on the small stuff, well, then, you know, when you master one thing, you master all things. And so as you can get better there, it's like, like everything that. starts to grow like that. I like that. I like that. See it. Do it. Right. See it. Do it. It's huge. See it. Do it. It's huge, man. That's great. And. You know, I think one of the big things, Brian, is is you know the the evolution of somebody that goes from coming in and working as a salesperson, 
right? You're, you're getting that instant gratification of closing a deal, seeing a check hit, seeing the bank balance grow, seeing the revenue, right? Like it's, it's very easy to measure your success when you're in sales. Mm-hmm. It's hard to measure your success as a leader. Yeah. Because you're investing time, energy into resources and people, and you don't know if they're going to stay. You don't know if they're going to be right. You don't. You don't. You can't guarantee. You can run through disc assessments and you can do everything, but there's no guarantee that someone's going to come in, take all the knowledge that you're giving them, and grow your business or help you to grow. Yeah, man, and I, I, I think that as a leader, you have to be generous to pour yourself into other people. And, and not try to control them or think that I'm only going to give them if they stay yeah. with me. Yep. I'm only going to be generous to them if they stay with me. And I, I uh, got rid of that mentality an awful long time ago because I don't want to control people. If somebody's going to give me any time in their life, I'm going to look at it as an opportunity to help them along the path of life, no matter where that path takes them. And I want to help everybody that works with me or for me on my team. I want to help them achieve the highest level of success that I possibly can. So for them, if they want to aspire to be a salesperson and they start with me as an assistant, let's get you on a path to go there. If you want to take on uh, team captain or leadership roles, let's get you on a path to go there. Because I'm not here to stop you or restrict you. I don't want to control you or keep you in a role or a responsibility that's going to be less than what you want to achieve. Mm. So I'm always pushing people to take on yeah. more responsibility, take on more growth. And if you want to take it and you want to do it, let's go there. Yeah, so here's one thing that we do every year is we sit down. I know you're a big traction guy. Yeah. So we do the vision traction or organizer, yep. the VTO. Yep. And I sat down with uh, my key people on my team, Diane Polly, Scott Scavuzzo, Jennifer Troyer, and we looked at our business, John Schwartz, and we looked at our business uh, for everything that we have, our vision, our values, our mission statement, our 10-year big vision, Mm -hmm. and our three-year targets. And as we're going through there, I said, Diane, what what do you really see yourself doing over the next 10 years? And she goes, you know... I really see myself leading more loan partners rather than just being a loan partner. And I said, is that something that you really want to do? Now, she teaches jazzercise. She's super fit. She's an instructor. It's in her DNA to do that. Now, she's been doing this job with me for 10 years. And I almost think that she didn't want to disappoint me because she's doing this role. But she's got greatness on the inside of her. But it's kind of bottled up. Yeah. So she says that she wants to take on that role. If I don't ask her about taking on, you know, what do you want to do in 10 years? She might not say that in yeah. that type of setting. Yeah. I said, let's pursue you not just doing that job but duplicating yourself because you are the best in the country at that job. Nobody's right. better than you at being a loan partner one. Yeah. So guess what? She starts to pursue. We start to pursue, and there's a job opening. Somebody else steps out. Now she's coaching and training loan partners all across the United States mm-hmm. of America. Which is her greatest leverage, too. For right? Like her, that's how he can affect the most people. For her and for the entire yeah. organization. Yeah. Now she's duplicating herself into all these other folks. But if we don't have that conversation at the end of the year, if we don't look at our 10-year vision or three-year targets – yeah, we might not never ever discover that. That's well, and and it's and it's hard to think that big, 
right? It's 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 to think ten years is a long time, right? Yep. And so it's hard to even fathom that. And I think that's one of the biggest things is is that we're not because we haven't been exposed to so many things and exposed to these thoughts and what could be there in ten years. That it's like we don't even we're only seeing what's in front of us because we get into survival mode. Yeah. I want to get past today. I just want to pay the bills. I'm going paycheck to paycheck. So many people are in that that little rat race of just thinking about now. And if we are not thinking five, ten years out, what are some of the big things that we could do? I'll give ourselves an opportunity to dream big, and we yeah. have to do that. Well, and you have a direction of where you're going, right? You've got to have that. And, and like I said, I think that's a huge piece to you know being the leader, right? Is understanding your skill set. Like truly knowing like what is the thing yeah. that I'm best at and being able to go into every conversation, every connection, every opportunity, knowing that, hey, I'm for me, I, I know that I'm good at vision, like inspiration, right? Like those are the things like, I, can, I can help you see where you want to go. Yeah. I can help you get excited about getting there and I can help you build the framework to get you there. Right. But I have to make sure that every conversation I'm having, that I'm approaching it from that angle, because if I'm trying to come in and teach systems and processes or accounting, not my wheelhouse. Yeah. Right. But being able to know, like, OK, in this opportunity, why am I here? What, what, what does this person need from my skill set to get them to where they want to get to? So let's break that down a little bit more. And you are incredibly gifted at helping people have a vision for their life. And you're incredibly gifted at getting them excited and motivated about going down that road and that path, yeah. right? So as a visionary, it is key to have great vision questions teed mm. up to engage with people, to open them up, and to get their imagination rolling into what's possible. How big could we be? How great could we create this to be? And, and, and as a visionary... Uh, our role is is to have those great questions. I think Traction does a great job with it. I say that the the bit, the difference between a great advisor and being a bad advisor is just simply the questions that we ask. Mm. What does that really mean? Well, as in financial services, somebody that just goes right into taking applications and collecting data doesn't really understand the goals and expectations of that other individual. So if we don't have those questions teed up in advance of the dialogue, then we're going to rush into yeah. something without getting really to the source yeah. of what this person wants to accomplish. Yeah. As a visionary, you know, uh, one of my favorite books on this is Put Your Dream to the Test. Mm. John Maxwell goes through a list of, of uh, 10 or 12 great questions to really get you to think big. And uh, that was an inspirational book. You want me to pull it out, man? We could go through a couple. Of yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, hundred percent. I think these um, get your light on there. Yeah, man. Thanks. I think these are some really good. There's twelve good questions here, or maybe ten. I've actually been built. I've been building out our uh, a little like leadership development program. So going through a ton of John Maxwell content, you know, seeing how he's framed some of his leadership programs in the past. Um, but I mean, it's everything, man. It's the culture of the business is one of the most important things. Yeah, here we go. So, um, we talk about John for a minute. Yeah. I don't feel like that's what I'm looking for. Give me one second. I'm sorry. Good. Good start. Oh, yeah, dude. 
You and I could talk about a lot of things and go a lot of directions. Here we go. So um, in 2004, I'd just been with Union Home for a couple of years. And um, at the time, I was, I was going to the chapel in Sandusky, and there was a leadership uh, event at the, uh, the chapel, and it was a Chick-fil-A a one-day seminar, and there was these different speakers from all across the country. And, you know, like you, I have a passion and a desire to learn, right? My strength finder is I'm an achiever. It's not something that I try to do. It's my DNA. Mm. I achieve. The more that you're around me, I promise you the more that you will achieve Mm -hmm. because it's in the hardwiring of my brain and my blood, I achieve every day of my life. I lead salespeople all across the country to achieve. I push people to achieve higher levels of success. And I'll talk about success in a second, but but it's who I am. The second thing is I'm a learner. My, my strength is uh, I want to learn and I want to understand and I want to get as much knowledge as I possibly can from other people. And I'm constantly studying just like you are. If I'm not talking to somebody, I'm studying somebody and I'm going back and forth, right? Because you can't pour from an empty cup. You got to be filled. The third is I am focused. I am focused on whatever we are doing. So whatever our vision and our, our goals are, I am focused on achieving those things, and I have accountability all around me. Maybe later we'll talk about yeah. accountability. I have accountability all around me to stay on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is command. I am a leader by nature, by DNA. It's part of who I am. And the last one is analytics. So if you go to Strength Finder 2.0, you yeah. can take your Strength Finder and know your strengths. I think it's incredibly important. I study my disc all the time. I just got a new set of uh, students. We're going through their disc. I am a super high D. I'm a 96 D. I'm a 61 I. I'm a 7 S. I have no steadiness. I'm constantly moving. <laughs> I got 75 projects going on at one time, and that's what makes me feel calm is yeah. having a lot of projects yeah. going. It took me a long time to understand my identity there. And my, my compliance is around 60. So so I am, uh, or I'm sorry, around 45 natural and about 60 adapted. Yeah. So I am a conductor on the disc. I Those are my five strength finders. I'm an Enneagram three, and, and a three is an, in, is an achiever. So that's who I am by nature. So I'm actually, I pull my Clifton strength up real quick yeah, before yeah, you yeah. get into that. Yeah. And I'm a learner, commander, achiever, futuristic, and ideation. We are almost as exact as <laughs> our brains operate the same. That's why I love getting around you, baby, because we sing, we sing the same song. Yep. We, we talk the same language, yeah, right? Man. It's not hard. When you get around a super high D and you get around achievers and command and learners, I mean, we could just go back and forth yeah, all man. day. Yeah. I love the disc because it teaches you to communicate with people in mm. their language, yeah. even though it's hard for me to communicate communicate in other people's language because I'm a high D and I want to communicate in high Ds. I talk in bullet points. I think in bullet points. I don't give a lot of detail. That's just, you know, that's who I am. So when I get around another high D like yourself, I mean, we could just rap all day. Yeah. No, I I love that. And I think that's, you know, I will, we'll dive into the, the Maxwell stuff too, but you know, how, how have you gotten better at being able to communicate in other people's language. Yeah. So there's a couple questions that I ask. And if we were really studying the disc assessment, I mean, we could do a whole bit on just the disc. Yeah. So we, 
as an organization last year, we spent over a million dollars on disk assessments for incoming employees. Just think about that. Wow. We have 1,600 employees in and we disc every single one of them because we can't afford to put the wrong person in the wrong job. Yeah, that's that's going to spend more money doing that. Yes. So we got to make sure that we get the right person because anybody can interview well. Anybody can say anything. But when you're going through the assessment and you look at really who you are and the way you're wired, I want to get people in a role where it's easy for them, Mm. right? It's easy for them to do that job. And there's things that are wire in your wiring where it's like breathing. I can do that job. Like these guys with video editing and production, they can do that job. They have a love and a passion for it. And it's going to be so simple yeah. that it takes no yeah. effort. You very put, little stress. You put you and I in there. You throw, you make it, you let us do the editing and video. Or... High stress, <laughs> high fatigue, <laughs> right? And yep. it's just, it's going to be a train wreck. So if you can get the peop- people in the right spots yeah. to do what they love and what they're wired to do, they're going to produce more of it in a shorter period of time. Let me say it again. When you get people in the right roles and responsibilities based on the way that they're wired, they're going to do more production in a shorter period of time and they're going to love it. And your, your whole team is going to love yeah. it. So go back to your question on, on the disc. It's a communication tool because everybody has a style that they like to communicate in mm. and they have things that really irritate them. Mm. There's one page, it's usually page 10 or 11 on the assessment, that goes through the three likes and the three dislikes of a high D, a high I, a high S, and a high C. There's two questions that I ask to try to determine quickly who that person is so I can try to communicate uh, in their style. I can customize my communication to their language. Mm. Not perfect at this. My team isn't perfect, but we're always working. You're aware, right? That's the biggest thing is being aware of it. Aware and and to not – yeah, to not push somebody away. Greg Greg Ford always told me, he said, said, empathy is the secret sauce. Right. He's like, that's the secret sauce of life, man. And when it comes to communication, when it comes to leadership, he's like, so often our egos want to be the ones to control the circumstance and the outcome. He's like, you've when you can just be empathetic and be aware that you're being empathetic and aware in the conversation that you're having and just try to say, if I was them, I'd probably do the same thing as well. So I can't get frustrated with them. That's just the playbook they've gotten. Empathy, secret sauce. Yeah, when you talk about empathy, I have like none of it, yeah. right? So we look with, <laughs> our, we look at our DISC assessment. It shows us our dominance, our influence, our steadiness, and our compliance. Mm. With that, we always do a motivators test. And there's six factors in a, in a motivators test that we really look at. One of them is aesthetics, peace and harmony and empathy. Mm. I'm like almost negative. I mean, it's so low, <laughs> my aesthetic. So yeah. when you talk about empathy, I really can't, I can't, I can't play in that game because yeah. I don't have a lot of it. Mm. But I do want to find out what somebody is looking for and help them get yeah. it, right? So if I can ask two questions, is this person more reserved or are they more aggressive to kind of control the conversation? Yeah. Are they uh, leading or being led? Mm. Most dominant people and influencing people are are, are leading the conversation or they want to lead the conversation. Most uh, steady and compliant folks want to be led. So that tells me, okay, they're kind of quiet, so they're probably an S or a C. All right, very good. And then the next question is, are they using more of their heart or their head? Are they using their feelings and emotions or are they using more of their head and their logic? Mm. 
So high Ds and high Cs use more of their head and their logic, more uh, heart from the Is and the Ss. That's interesting. See where I'm going? Yeah, yeah. So so if I can ask those two questions, you know, if I can go, ooh, this person's pretty dominant. Yeah. And they're talking about a lot of facts and figures and talking mm. in bullet points, they're probably a high D. I, I, and one thing I love on that, like just how you kind of broke it down there too, is that even understanding that the situation, right, of saying, okay, high D, you know, you're more driven up with head head driven, right? Yeah. Because that's such a powerful trait, right? It, it is a mindset thing where if you look at high I, like that's more of a heart thing. It's more of an influence thing, right? It's So it's a very that, – that's I like that. That, that's, that was good awareness on that one. Well, man. I made the mistake long ago where I had um, – a lady called me up uh, for a home loan. And, and she says, Brian, I just, I'm getting a divorce. I got to refinance my, my house. And um, I wonder if you could help me. I said, absolutely. Love to help you. And I said, what are you looking to do? And we went through, you know, full consultation. I send her over an Excel spreadsheet with four options and just a page full of details. Didn't hear from her. Didn't hear from her. Didn't hear from her. Call her back two days later. I said, hey, uh, which, you know, I didn't hear back which option you wanted. She goes, Brian, you just made it way too complex. Too many options, too many details. I called my current lender and I think I'm just going to work with them. I said, you know what? Mm. I'm so sorry. I'm talking to a high eye in a very emotional state of divorce and I'm treating her like she's a high C. Mm. But I want to treat everybody like a high C because I think that everybody needs to have that data. I'm treating her like a high D as well, giving her bullet points of all these different options. You know what she wanted? She wanted to be led. She wanted one option. Yep. She wanted one piece of advice. And at the end of the day, she came into the office. She goes, Brian, what would you do? And I said, this is what I would do. She goes, let's do that. Yeah. That's you it. have to be able to communicate with people and understand high S's make up 60% of the world's population. Most people want to be led. They want to know what you would do. They want to have the security that keeps them in that steady, steady yeah. role. Yeah. Man, that's good, man. That's that's so good. And it's it, it there, there's just there's the value on knowledge of understanding people, mm-hmm. right? And th- that to me has been one of the things that has helped us so much. Is is again, fortunately, I've been able to be around a lot of good people in you know playing sports. Like I've done a lot of things. Like I, I was reading a book the other day uh, called Culture Code. Culture Code. Yeah, great book. And um, and like they go through of like you know they say the top three organizations have three things, right? It's safety, it's uh, vulnerability, and it is purpose. Okay. Right. So like to to create a strong organization, you need to have those three things, and everyone yeah. needs to know it. They need to feel it. And he starts listing like here's how you create safety, here's how you create vulnerability, here's how you create purpose. There's action steps to it, and, and what to look for. And I'm going through this book and it was wild because there were so many things inside of that that we're doing. Yeah. Right. It was like I was I felt like I was reading a book on our business almost. And a lot of these things that we do here and I've not done naturally has just like I didn't go to school. I didn't work at a, you know, a corporate company. Right. So it's just kind of been skill sets that I've developed that's allowed us to create this. Yeah, so good. It, it, and, that, and that's been the biggest thing of all of it. Right. Even when we got into roofing, I didn't really know roofing. 
Right, and and that was that was much more people facing. Yeah, right. Have you seen the show Ted Lasso? Oh, absolutely, love Ted. Same scenario, right? I'm like, yeah. you don't really need to know. You don't know soccer. You, you don't need to know soccer, man. Uh-huh. You just got to know people. people. Yeah, man. Be in the people business. That's it. And, and you're you're great at that. You're great at giving the vision of value. So I got one coach. Might you'll love this. You'll love this. Uh, he said that that people they have to have a clear vision, right? They have to have. A clear purpose. I think it's our job as leaders to help people understand their disc, mm. help them understand their identity. But people get tired when they're not inspired. And he says, and I just, I just love this quote. I love this quote that the level of our endurance is in direct proportion to the clarity of our vision. Mm. And when you, as a leader, help your team have that clear, clear vision, you will endure through all the pain and all the heartache that it takes to yeah. achieve those goals. Yeah. If everyone's clear, you got a clear vision, you got clear values, you got clear goals, you got clear top three job duties, top three expectations of those jobs, everybody can go, boom, I get it, I know my role on the team. Let's battle, let's fight, let's achieve what we're going after. And what I love about that too is, you know, it's really easy to look into, you know, sales and all of, and operationals and the process and the systems. And those are all very important. You have to constantly be, you know, getting them better and, you know, innovating and all of those things. But so often the people building gets kind of left off to the side because they don't necessarily have a direct impact. And the biggest thing with the people building is just consistently, reiterating it mm-hmm. right like it, it's getting clear with those things and then it's start meetings talk about it because if because if you talk about it today and you don't talk about it again for three months everybody forgot yeah it wasn't that important to you if you as the leader keep talking about it every single day everyone knows that this is what's most important so one simple thing that i learned in coaching is have a daily team meeting for 30 minutes in every day, start that daily team meeting with the numbers that are most important to you and your organization. For me and my team, it's how many new clients locked a loan with us yesterday? How many new clients applied? How many people did we have credit polls, pre-approvals, and how many deals do we have closed in this month? Mm. Those are the numbers and the metrics that we have to have. Now, we got metrics behind those 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 numbers, but we do it Every day. When I say every day, some people like look at me like every day. I'm like five days a week, yeah. 52 weeks a year. We do it every day. And it helps everybody on the team come to that daily team meeting prepared to give a report and to give an account of their job from the previous day. Yeah. It makes their life simpler. Say, well, it's, microman- it's not micromanaging mm-hmm. people. It's helping them know what's most important and then mm-hmm. keeping them on track. Well, and if you're not tracking it, you don't you don't know. I mean, that's one of the one of your biggest things, right? Is is you've got to pay attention to it, you know. And 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 it's hard when you run an organization of all these people and all of these things, right? And so just by all you're doing is just setting the framework so that it, you're actually helping them to be successful. Just because, like, hey, this is we're not asking for all these things. If you just track these three things, even if you're doing it. You know, not even intentionally, but you're just doing it and, and you're not trying to, you know, dissect the numbers on it. Just by the action of doing it, you can't help but to pay attention to see 
progress. Absolutely, because if you don't have the data, if your data is not accurate and it's not right, then you're going to make decisions today that might not be in the direction of those goals. So you got to have the data. You say, man, it's my, a little bit tedious to, uh, to track and to measure. Absolutely not. Think about this. Every sports – I'm wearing my Browns gear today. We've got a big game today. You know the Browns have not won two playoff games in a season – since 1950. Dang. That's a minute. Since 1950. That's a minute. They've only won one playoff game a couple years ago against the Steelers. Yeah. Back in 1988 and 1986 football seasons. Those are the times that the Browns won playoff games. They haven't won two playoff games (laughs) in a single season since 1950, so I'm pretty excited today. Yeah. I believe they're going to win. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we're talking about stats and we're talking about tracking. When I watch football, and I love the game of football, abs- my whole life is about the game of football. Not completely, but you know. A lot of it. I'm a physician, so <laughs> a lot of But when I'm watching games, I'm constantly looking at the stats. Yeah. Everybody is. We want to see how many rushing attempts, how many passing attempts, how many completions, touchdowns, interceptions, yards in attempt, receptions in attempt, per attempt. You, you we look at the, how many sacks, how many fumbles, how many turnovers. We're constantly studying this data because the data tells you what's really happening. It removes, it removes emotion. There's no emotion in the data. Mm-hmm. It's just the facts. Yeah. Where are we winning and where are we losing? Where do we have gaps that have to be bridged? I use that statement all the time. So here's where we're at. This is where we want to be. We have to bridge that gap with new activity, new daily disciplines, new things that are going to be habits that are going to help us continually achieve what we want. So they do it in football. Like I ask people this when I'm coaching. I say, Mike, would anybody buy stock in your company? And most salespeople that I talk to, they go, well, what do you mean? I said, could you give a report of your entire business and somebody look at your reports and go, man, that's a great running operation. I'd like to buy ownership in your company. Yeah. Could you give it to them? Could you show them an annual statement or an annual report that shows you everything that you did over mm-hmm. your business? Most people I talk to, they say, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to get to where you want to go without tracking and measuring yeah. your activity and your results? Once you have that – yeah. Now we can put new systems and processes in place. We don't know where you're wasting time and where you need to hire and delegate some new responsibilities to fill in those things that you're missing if we don't have the data. Yeah. Got to have the data. You got to have It's huge. And you know me, that's always my, the data is always my weakness, you know, but I got good people around me that are good at it. You don't have to be good at it. That's (laughs) the thing. Just understanding it, you know. You got to understand it and you delegate it. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, that's been a, uh, you know, I think that's, that's one of the hardest parts with when you get into business and you're growing, right? Is that because it's moving so fast and there's so many moving pieces and it's like, you forget what things need to be tracked and what needs to be tracked and how do you follow up on it? Right. If I'm looking at, you know, even the size that union home is, and you're talking about 1600 agents, how are you able to help manage all of these agents? Like, I I love that you do the weekly or monthly coaching calls. Like, I do that here internally, kind of mm-hmm. something I, I picked up from you. So every week I run a company-wide, like, mentor call. That's good. Um, really but, like, good. At, at, it, with an organization that size, you know, h- how are you able to – especially it's crazy because you came in when there were 30 people. Yeah. So you've seen this thing 
grow and you've been a major part of the growth of it. And so how do you be omnipresent and still keep the culture in the feel and all well, that? First of all, Bill Cosgrove is just an incredible, incredible visionary. He gives great focus on our big goal. I remember he said, we're going to get to a billion dollars as a lender. 200 million, 300 million, 400 million. He said, we're going to get to a billion. And, and early on, he let me be a part of his leadership committee. So I got to be a part of, of, of the head of operations and the head of sales and the head of uh, HR. And, and I got to sit in the room with all the department heads. And for years, he would say, we're going to get to a billion dollars. Kind of look back and go, are we really? Are we going to get there? Because we got stuck at like 800 million, 800 million, 800 million. He brings in some outside people and creates an advisory board to get perspective on union home mortgage. He starts to look for key people to run our sales and our operations that weren't a part of union home. He brought in Al Blank. He brought in Jim Ferder. Now, Jim Ferder helped build Chase. He was the president of Caliber. Wow. He ran some huge operations. So he brings in two key guys, and all of a sudden, our company explodes. explodes absolutely explodes. Mm-hmm. We go from $800 million in 2009, 2010, 2000, right around there, to $13 billion in 2020. <sighs> all the right people make Dang. all the difference. Yeah. Now, to your question – how do you organize 1,600 people in all these different departments? Uh, I am a sales guy. I'm learning to get better at all the, all the time. Mm. I run a coaching department uh, where I have 23 coaches and 250 students. Mm. I spend an hour twice a week with the coaches. Those coaches we have organized into coaching groups. They all meet in groups of two, three, and four mm. to – disseminate information, but also to keep everybody accountable to their activities and their results. In every department at Union Home, there's a daily meeting. Now, think about this, Um, and I'll tell you where this came from. Um, Bill Cosgrove was in New York City, and uh, he sat down and had dinner. He He was the chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association. And he was at an event where Mayor Giuliani was was sitting next to him at a dinner. And he said, Mayor, you got 8 million people here in Manhattan. You have all these. How in the world do you run this city? And he said, Bill, it's real simple. Every morning we have an hour-long meeting with every department, the police, the fire emergency, you know, all the different trash, all the different departments. We have a meeting every single day. And Bill said, you know what? We're going to do that. And we call it our daily rooting meeting where every morning we get together for one hour. Every department, every leader in the organization, there's a hundred people on this call every day for an hour, Mike. Guess what we start with every morning? Wins? Nope. Critical numbers. Mm. Every single morning. So we go over new customers. We go through operations. We go through turn times. We go through performance of every step in that. So so you, you think about this. You got every leader in the organization on a call every morning. Most organizations don't have that discipline. No. They can't keep that discipline. 
but the speed of the communication. Mm. We're one of the we're one of the top five fastest growing mortgage companies in the United States of America, and it's because of the discipline of our communication mm. that creates the speed of our growth. We're able to make decisions so much faster than our competition because every morning the leadership team is getting together, making choices and decisions, and then every one of those leaders is meeting with their individual teams to give that information yeah. and share it. So are you doing, um, will the leaders then have a daily meeting with their team? You are they do? Okay, so you're d- top-down dailies. Boom, every single day. And, and that's one of the, dude, like, that's a hard thing to do. It's not easy. You know, it, it's definitely a hard thing to do. I mean, I, I struggle with it. We have, you know, we have our team meeting, which is, you know, kind of company-wide. That's on Monday. That's everybody's in here in the office, you know, kind of kicking off the week. I do, we do our level 10 meeting on Wednesdays, which is just leadership team. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Friday, I kind of do my mentor stuff, but, you know, we're not doing that. And I know how valuable, you know, that would be. And I would say for us in our organization right now, one of our biggest weaknesses is with the speed that we've grown, it's really the leadership team, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, and that's not a weak, like that's our focus. Cause I know that that's the next level for us to get to the next step. But when you've grown rapidly, we had the, you know, I bought that window company this year. So then yep. they, they came in. So then that's a whole, I mean, you, you guys see what the, the acquisitions and things you're doing, like there's a, that's a whole nother animal because that's a whole different culture, a different thing. And, and you're getting them in and they've got to adapt to what you have. It's got to be an alignment. And then it's like, okay, who's, who's leading who? Who's doing this, right? And that's my focus right now is just constantly mapping that out. I'm like, okay, here's the meeting structures they need to be having. Here's what the expectation of the meeting needs to be. Here's when they need to be having them. Here's who they need to be having them with. Who are they then reporting that to? How am I getting all these reports and making decisions based off of the things I'm seeing, right? So it's a lot, but it's – I think that's the part of it, though, right? It's it's learning that. The communication structure of the organization is going to determine a lot about that that team. Are you going to be able to achieve and grow? Are you going to be able to quickly assess where the problems are Mm -hmm. and quickly fix them? So when we have a problem that comes up in the morning in Rudy, like most organizations, Mike, I think that they discover a problem and then that person has to go and do some research and then come back in a week or two weeks to give a report on it. Go through the chain of command. and, And then everybody looks at it and then they go, okay, let's do this and go work on it. And then a week or two weeks later, they come back with a report. The speed of fixing problems in most organizations is incredibly slow. Here's how it happens at Union Home Mortgage. We define or we discover a problem. Somebody at the end of every meeting, every single day, every day, Al Blank, who's re, he's, he's, he's running the company, Bill Cosgrove, CEO, sitting right there, finished the meeting with what are three big things that we can do to get better? What are, is there anything that, that's come up in the last 24 hours that anybody that we need to know about? In any department across the company, that person can raise their hand and say, hey, we have this that needs to be addressed. And boom, immediately you have the entire leadership of the organization focused on that problem. Yeah, that's good. And then guess what? That task force gets put together that day. And guess when they have to give a report on their End findings? The, the very next morning at mm. 8 o'clock. So it runs every single day at mm. 8 a.m. So we discover it today. That person goes back and puts a team, discovers, and then gives a report on it the next day. And if it's big enough, that problem will get reported on every single 
day Man. until it's fixed. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a more granular example of that. We just switched over. We have 110,000 customers that make their monthly mortgage payment to us, about $26 billion in our servicing portfolio. We took all of these folks and switched them onto a new servicing platform. Now think about this. 110,000 people all across the United States of America switching the way that they make their monthly mortgage payment. Can you even grasp how challenging <laughs> that no, is? No, man. I, I, I couldn't. Communicating with 110,000 people to change the behavior of how they make their monthly mortgage payment. Ch- incredibly challenging. So Mike Greenwood is just phenomenal at uh, servicing and running this department uh, in servicing. So they're communicating out for weeks and weeks and weeks by email, phone calls. How many people – don't even read their email right. like most of them. Right? Yeah. So so then all of a sudden, after you make the switch and the changeover, about 60% of people do it. Yep. The other 40 create the world's largest headache that you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. And yeah. every single morning in Rudy, Mike's given a report on the progression of getting everyone switched over. It's a, it's the most amazing yeah. servicing platform with the most amazing app. I mean, it tells you every neighbor that sold their home. It tells you what the value of your property is, shows you the balance of your mortgage, gives you a, a plan on paying that mortgage off faster. Our servicing platform is incredible, but getting 110,000 people from their old system over to this new one, the only way that that happens without pissing a lot of people off is to have a daily conversation about it mm. in Rudy. With an organization that this size, one thing that I have, we struggle with here is because of where I'm at as a leader or my leadership style, maybe how I show up, I, I, we struggle to help to push others to be innovative, hmm. right? Like there's a lot of, a lot of the things built here are built off of my mind, my, yeah. my things, right? right? So I get an idea. Hey, we're going to try this. I get an idea. We're going to do this, right? And so that that's what's really drove the organization to get to where we're at. But I know that there's talent and I know that there's ideas and I know there's concepts that, you know, trying to get them to, you know, voice an opinion, try to get them to speak up and not feel that I'm going to, because I'll never tear somebody. Like I encourage it, right? If we're having a meeting, I'll be the first person to say, like, what am I doing wrong? Right? It, it's not an ego thing. It's just the, you know, I, I think people... Maybe it's a respect thing. Maybe it's the way they see you, right? And yep. so I've started to set meetings up that don't involve me, hmm. right? That's Leadership good. meetings that I'm not a part of to kind of like, hey, you guys come up with these things and bring them to me. But I, I need you. We need you to be able to get to where you want to be. We, we've got to have other ideas. That's not just the way that I think. Yeah, man. So um, I got a news flash for both of us. I have a high ego. You have a high ego. We're high Ds. Hmm. We lead. Our ideas are not the best. <laughs> They're not the best. We think they are because mm. we study a lot. We read a lot. And we go, oh, it's my idea. It's the best, right? Yeah. And for years, I have championed my ideas and I have promoted my ideas and try to get everybody on board with just my ideas. Yeah. And then you come to the conclusion that, wait a minute, there's a lot of quiet people that have really brilliant minds and great imagination and great logical thinking to come up with better thoughts and better ideas. We have a saying, uh, Bill Cosgrove has a saying of, look at everything from all eight sides. 
So if you take a look at that disc test, there are eight different quadrants of people that are on that disc. There are conductors, persuaders, promoters, relators, supporters, coordinators, uh, analyzers, and implementers. When you have a group of people together and you are soliciting their ideas from all eight sides, now you're going to get a clear picture of what's really happening. Mm. And if you make it a priority to pull the thoughts and ideas out of every one of those folks, because some of those folks that don't have a high drive or high influence, they're reserved naturally. It's part of their their logic and their wiring and their DNA. So you have to go out of your way to say, hey, Sally, what do you think about this? Because Sally's not going to voice her opinion, especially in a group of more than four people. She's not going to step out and share that. So you have to be strategic about pulling that information out. The other big thing is you you have to, as an organization, Union Home is just phenomenal at this. We have something called You Suggest. If you're sitting there working today mm. and, and you're, you're typing and all of a sudden you keep running into a roadblock, the people closest to the problem are the ones that discover it. And they're typically the ones that have a great solution to solving that problem. So if you create a forum where they can make a suggestion of not just a problem but also a solution to fix that problem, then you can bring it to leadership's attention. So we have something called a You Suggest box. Any partner from the company can go in and make a suggestion. It goes into Rudy once a week, and all of those suggestions are brought out to the leadership team, and the leadership team will go – that is a phenomenal idea, and we could incorporate that. That'll save time not only for them, but everybody that's in that role. Yeah. That's going to save the company 500 yeah. hours a year, yeah. and you take everybody's salaries times that 500, and that's how much money we just saved it as, as an organization. Mm. One other thing that is – you know, this is really challenging, but I think it's another one of the secret sauces of Union Home Mortgage. And before you send this out into the world, I got to make sure that we edit this and I get it past compliance, right? um, (laughs) uh, um, Can't give you all of our trade secrets, but this is a big, this is a. We can always pause it if you want to give me the the good stuff. This this is ginormous. It's called GBSB. GBSB. So when the company was about two or 300 people, and we hit 2009 when the Great Recession happens. I mean, our income is nosediving. And the owner of the company, Bill Cosgrove, goes out to every branch in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan and makes a pit stop at every single office. Now, I don't know how many there were at the time, but but he went to every office. He took the P&Ls for every office and he sat him down and he had a discussion about the income and expenses for that branch and said, guys, we need to figure this out together, how we can cut these expenses and bring our P&L into balance. And so it's get black, stay black, because every office was in the red. So 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 now think about this. So he, he did that back in 2009. It was a brilliant thing, kept the company afloat to get through one of the toughest times uh, our industry's ever faced. Fast forward to 2023. Now you have from Atlantic to Pacific and everywhere in between. We're in 49 states. Only wow. only New York is, is the only state that we're not. Really? In. So 
we have branches all across the country, and how do you go to every – there's not enough hours in no. the day. There's not enough time in the year. So we bring everybody together in these regional meetings of Get Black, Stay Black, GBSB. And the senior leadership team travels from location to location to location. And all 1,600 partners of the company will be met in one of these meetings. They're mandatory for every person. You got you to take the day off and you got to come to these meetings. And, and you get together for a breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You have a open, honest discussion about the dollars and cents of the organization. And then before that meeting is over, that region must give 15 ways that the company can improve and get better. Wow. So you think about this. The week of March 9th, we'll be traveling all across the country to see, make stops in Dallas on Monday, Las Vegas on Tuesday, Portland on uh, Wednesday, back to Chicago on Thursday, back to Cleveland. And that trip happens the week of March 9th, April 12th, and May 4th. Mm. So that's what I'll be doing over those. but. But it's 14 senior leaders of the company traveling to all of those regions, and it's back to back to back having that same conversation with every region. But now think about this. Every partner of the company, nobody's an employee of Union Home. Everyone is a partner. We are all partners together. I like that. Nobody's an employee. We are all partners. So every partner in the company has an opportunity to share from their perspective what we need to do to improve and get better. Right now, we are we are chasing the top. We are we're in the top forty, but we're chasing the top twenty five in all lenders in the country, with the ultimate goal of getting to the top. But but if you are not constantly finding out what your biggest problems are and creating solutions for those biggest problems, man, this guy sounds like an incredible CEO. He's amazing. Yeah, man. I mean, this is all obviously good insight, you know. Um, but just seeing. And hearing from where it started to where it's at, the vision and and just the structure, like it's not by accident. You guys are where you're at, no sir, right? It, it's it's intentional and it's it's team building, right? This guy's done a great job. Bill was his name, he said. Bill Cosgrove. Yeah, I mean, Bill's done a. I mean, just it, it's especially when you find a guy like yourself, right? Like as driven as you are to leadership and growth and all of these things, it's like you you get matched up with a guy like that that's what's built you right the the, the things that you've learned and uh, have acquired just from being there but what makes him so special is that he keeps giving guys like me the platform mm. to grow to grow my personal business he gave me the platform to get into coaching and grow my personal production team i became the number one salesperson in Union Home for seven consecutive years. And then he gave me the opportunity to start a coaching program inside of Union Home. We call it Partners Coaching Partners. He funds it. He gave me the opportunity and the responsibility to grow it. He said, Brian, (laughs) he said, this is going to be the greatest learning lesson and it's going to stretch you in ways that you'll never imagine. He told me that in 2016 when we launched it. So we were at Reynolds Plantation, Georgia, at our pre- uh, President's Club retreat um, at the uh, at the end of 2016. We sat down, Bill Cosgrove, Al Blank, Jim Ferreter, 
and I had breakfast together. And I learned so much from from the coaching from 2011. Now at the end of 2016, my business is just exploding, yeah. just exploding. I closed 265 uh, home loans in 2016, building a great team. Everything is is growing. I became a national coach in in the core training, and everything's just going great. We sit down and we talk about having our own internal coaching program. And, and after we talked for about an hour, Bill said, you know what? I'll fund it. Brian, you get with Jim Ferder, national sales manager, again, the guy that, that built Chase's mortgage operation in Manhattan. He worked downtown Manhattan for years, friends with David Rockefeller, uh, built Caliber. Wow. Got with Jim, and we started putting out the structure of this coaching program. Al Blank, uh, just a great great friend, motivator, and uh, he really he really runs the company. He's the most uh, amazing mortgage banker as far as knowledge and experience. Yeah. He get, you know, we're, we're all working on this together. So I picked five coaches. We launched with 30 students. We had 60 apply. We chose 30, and we launched our first year of coaching. Year two, we grew to 69. Year three, we grew to 108. Year four, we grew to 128. Year five, we grew to 174, then 228. And now we're at 252 partners across the company that are involved in coaching and accountability. It's completely elective. It's not mandatory. If you want to be in, you can, or you can apply to be in. It's not mandatory. But he gave me that opportunity as an example of how he how of uh, amazing of a CEO he is yeah. but he gave me that opportunity to lead and grow something and now my big vision is I want 500 salespeople that are all working and accountable to each other and I want to grow it to 10 billion dollars in, in annual production mm. and uh, we're we're off and running man man nah, that that's incredible I, and I love that I mean because the, the the coaching side for me is is I'm passionate about it too, right? Like I, because I, I know how, I know how important mentorship is, mm-hmm. because just like we talked about it, right? I, I've, that's why I love the coaching and the mentoring because I've seen it change my life in such a way yeah. that it's it's not from a standpoint of the more money side. It's like you can literally, you can help somebody change their entire life. You can help them. You know, it just it just takes one person to see a version of you that you can't see for yourself or that vision for you. And 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 like Bill's done for you, right? He he not only saw that in you, but then he created the space for you to step into it with like giving you the resources, the opportunity, right? Being able to set that up and kind of tee it up for you a little bit. It's like I see this in you. Here's the opportunity. This is me betting on you. This is your opportunity to step into this. It's up to you if it's successful or not. Yeah. Yeah, and he he's done that, and he takes a lot of chances on guys like me, and gives us the uh, the opportunities to make mistakes. Yeah, he doesn't call me up and berate me if I make a mistake. He gives me a lot of latitude to make those mistakes, and I and I you know I, I'm a big fan of uh, Craig Rochelle, and I love watching his stuff. He's got like the biggest church, the largest organization yeah. in the country, like 150 thousand people attend every single week at uh, at this you know Craig very well uh-huh. just absolutely phenomenal you got to study him he does a, a podcast he had a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud on the other day talking about trust one of my favorites of all time but but um, um, I was listening to Craig talk about giving people responsibilities and then allowing them the latitude to make mistakes mm. you know sometimes as leaders we give somebody responsibility they fail we should expect the failure and the mistake, not jump all over them when they make that mistake. I think early on in my delegation and team building, you know, when there was a mistake, I addressed it the wrong way. Now, 
it becomes my training agenda for our next training session. So here's another thing that I think is really important, Mike. So I coach guys on how to build teams uh, all across the country. And when we're, we're building out these teams, you know, we have to determine who's the right person for the role and the responsibility. And we have a 12-step hiring process that I think is pinpoint accurate. Got it from coaching, plus we've modified it a little bit. And, and, and when it's an, it, it never fails me when I uh, when I'm coaching somebody and I'm I'm talking to them about their new employee. They, they you know, thirty, sixty, ninety days in, they'll go. You know, they're just they're just not getting it. I, I think I hired the wrong person. I said, really, you hired the wrong person. I said, did we follow the twelve steps? And the, you know, yeah. I said, you got the disc assessment. Yeah. Does their disc as- assessment meet their top three job duties? Yeah. Are they clear on their roles and responsibilities to fulfill those top three job duties? Yes. Do you have your daily team meeting? Are you keeping them accountable on the numbers? Yes. And then here's the key point. How's your training schedule? Mm. You hear that silence? That's the same silence that they give me. I said, send me over your training calendar for this individual. Nothing. And I said, let me understand this. You think you hired the wrong person. They're not doing the things that you expect them to do, but you're not training them every week on how to do that job. Mm. I said, how do you expect them to learn it? How did you expect them to get it? I said, this isn't the matrix. You don't have that thing plugged into the back of your brain and you're pushing a button and all of a sudden you know Taekwondo. It's not (laughs) like that, bro. You have to spend time with these people. And I said, it's like filling up a uh, 55-gallon drum of water and your training is in drops, drops, drops. And every time you train them, you're dropping a little bit of liquid in there to fill up this drum so they can do the job Mm -hmm. as well or better than you did for the years that you did that job. I said, when they make mistakes, the mistakes become the training agenda for your next session. You didn't close that client, no problem. We'll make that at the very top. We'll role play and we'll script out how we can win that one next time. We didn't help this cut. We didn't get a five-star rating from this client. What in the world went wrong? Let's analyze it in our next training Mm -hmm. session. So the mistakes become the, the, the training agenda. I don't like to just teach people a right. syllabus and just give them random ideas. Yeah. Let's talk about the things that really we're battling right now. Man, it is so hard to implement that. Right? That That's one of the biggest things that I feel here, right? Is it that the, the consistent training, Locking that in, making sure you're accountable with it, holding the people accountable, giving them the framework to be successful, right? When, you know, I, I probably lost 10, 15 good people that came into this organization over the past two years that would have been successful, but I never gave them the framework to be successful because I didn't know it, right? I, I was figuring out and learning and, you know, having them step in. The ones that have been with me the longest are the ones that were able to come in and they were able to create their own curriculum to learn from. Hmm. Right. And, and, and that, that's where we're at now. I'm like, how do you create this culture depth? Okay. So create the extension. So let's dive into it. So the secret for all of our success 
is our daily agenda. Our calendar is a picture of all of our priorities. If training and growing your people is not a priority, it's probably not going to go into the calendar. Mm. To me, there's nothing more valuable than building up, coaching, training my people. It's, it's right at the very top. So you have to look at your different departments of people that you want to coach and train, and you have to pick 30 and 60-minute time slots to get into specific training for them. So every Monday, every single Monday, every single Monday, let me say it one more time, every Monday at noon, my back-end team of Loan Partner 2s, we have a 30-minute coaching and training. I could show you my entire process for my organization, how we manage, how we manufacture home loans. And in every Monday at noon, we are working on tooling that process to make it a better client experience and to make sure that we are manufacturing loans faster, more efficiently. But if we don't have that every single Monday at, at noon, we're not getting better. Yeah. You know how long we've done that? Uh-huh. Over a decade. That's why. So, 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 if anybody's watching this that's into home financing, 90%, which I mean, this, this number doesn't compute for most people that are in the loan business, 90.4% of every home loan that's produced in my office is perfect. There are no conditions. We don't go back to the customer for anything, it's all done up front. So when that loan hits an underwriter's desk, they grab their rubber stamp of approval and stamp it approved and move on because it's already done. The last 10%, it's something so minor, it's something so simple that we just get it and then we move right on to closing. That wouldn't be possible if we didn't meet every Monday for at least 30 minutes to work on our process. Every Thursday at 10 o'clock, we have my front-end meeting where I have my LP1 and my team captain, and we're working on a greater client experience for every pre-approved customer, for every person that's out searching for a home to help them make a decision and, and to to win the offer on, on a property. So we I have those two training sessions. For my salespeople, Every Wednesday at 9.30, we do 30 minutes of sales training, and then all of my salespeople are in coaching accountability groups that meet twice a month for one hour. So not only are they accountable to me as a coach, and they're getting personal coaching from me every week for 30 minutes, they also have a peer accountability group that holds them accountable to their goals, to their activities, to their results, and they have that support group to continue to improve and get better. Man, that's the goal. That's awesome, man. I, 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 that, that honestly just gave me some great insight just off of that because, you know, again, uh, where we're at, I only know what I know, right? And, and that's the that that's where I'm at now. Right? I'm like trying to, you know, like I said, trying to find people that can be innovative and and collective thinking and being able to, you know, grow the people and what's next and how do I continue to train everybody and get everybody on board and you know, so everything that we're doing, you know, especially from that side of it, I'm creating it as I go. Yeah. Right. And I've only been exposed to, to so much too, right? Like just just these things that you're sharing with me would be will be extremely valuable to be able to implement that. And if you're listening to this, I mean that's a framework. You're talking about a $14 billion company, right? That we that we said? You guys uh, are our peak was 13. Last year, we were a little over five. Yeah. Five billion. And that ain't, that ain't by accident, man. I mean, and that's what's incredible is that there's people out there that will hear this and not implement any of it. Yeah. 
right? Not even not even an attempt to it. I'm, as soon as we get off this, I'm going over there. I'm like, oh, going to build the whole training program out do it this week. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you. So here's what I think the next secret is, right? So you can study and learn and get a bunch of knowledge. I mean, we can read every book. We can listen to every podcast. We can watch new YouTube until we just can't keep our eyes open any longer. It's great to have knowledge. But, but this is – I say this all the time in Coaching Mike. The greatest gap in life is between knowing and doing. And the only way to bridge that gap between knowing and doing is to have a coach that has already bridged that gap that can help you implement the tactics and strategies to do it yourself. And the problem is, is we want to go to an event and think that it's a light switch that just makes it happen. For me personally, for the last 12 and a half years of my life, working with a coach every two weeks to slowly implement strategy, to implement the tactics that we learn, that's where my growth has happened. Yeah. That's how we grow our salespeople. It's just slowly over time. And, and what happens, Mike, is you set these goals and you work on them for six months and you climb the ladder and you hit them. And then you set some more goals and you climb the ladder and hit them. Six-month goals, hit them. Six-month goals. And then all of a sudden you look back over the course of two years, five years, ten years, and you go, how in the world did we get way up here? Yeah. It's because of that slowly implementation Every day, every two weeks, being accountable, continuing to move forward. And a huge piece of that is that long-term vision, right? That's why the vision and things gets to, are so important because, you know, we want it. There's so much urgency that we place on these things and, you know, what we think is important and all the distractions and all the things and the shiny objects that you can do. And But when you can get leadership and people to lock in to say, this, this isn't a one-year thing, a 90-day thing. It, this is years, three years, four years, five years, here's where we want to be in 10 years. And if we do the things we say on your VTO sheet, wherever it is, we say, hey, these are the most important seven things that we got to do this year. We've collectively agreed that those are the most important things. Why do we allow ourselves to get off into the other things, right? Because you get busy and then we fall off on doing it. And it's like, if you just yeah. focus on the things that you say will move the needle, you'll move the needle. Yeah, man. And, and the, the focus, the focus and getting everybody on the same page yeah. with it, so important. Yeah. But, you know, small accountabil uh, accountability groups. I have single coaches. I have group coaching. I think group coaching is the single, uh, single most powerful way to grow and develop. One coach, three students. One coach, three students. We see it in the Bible. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. I think it's the best group. And then you've got 12 disciples total, right? Yeah. But you got one coach and three students, I think is the best environment for learning and for transferring of knowledge and experience from the coach to the students. And that small, that small group, it, it, for me, it's transformed my life. I have students that have been with me for over seven years. We're in year eight right now, coaches that have been in that group because they don't want... It's helped me grow so much, earn millions of dollars, save millions of dollars, give millions of dollars away, which is the most important thing. But if you don't have that accountability and the accountability group to help you continue to stay focused and continue to move on, a lot of times I think you just give yourself permission to stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I never want to quit, man. I, mean, I love that. And the, just the, the idea of just accountability is such a... It's such an importance, and I think that's where it, it – to me, it's almost an advantage, 
right? Like when I look at accountability, I look at it of I've been able to create something, build something that I'm providing for people, mm-hmm. right? Well, those people rely on me. I'm the kind of person I need people to rely on me because that, that's when I'm in my zone. When I know I'm leading people, when I'm doing, that's what I'm best at because mm-hmm. nothing in me wants to disappoint them. Nothing in me wants to let those people down. So it's like you build in this natural uh, accountability program because me just, you, if one of our people are sick and they don't want to come in today, they don't have to come in, right? They don't feel good. They, they come, hey, I'm going to stay home. I don't have that luxury, right? But it, it, but it's a good piece to it because that's what forces me to say, man, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to lead these people. Just that, that paradigm shift of like, man, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of people counting on me. Yep. But at the end of the day, that's the blessing in it. It's a, it's a great blessing to have the responsibility of leader, of uh, CEO for you, of running departments for me. And, and I'll go back to our vision statement. The level of our endurance, enduring past that sickness or whatever that pain is, I'm not going to let my people down. I, I don't miss days of work. I never miss a coaching session ever. The level of my endurance is in direct proportion to the clarity of my vision. My vision is so crystal clear that nothing is going to stop me, even being sick or snow or whatever it is. Nothing's going to stop me from accomplishing the vision and making that vision a reality. So if if it's crystal, and in my mind, it is, every day we're going at it, full throttle, everything that we have Nothing's going to stop us from getting there. And I think when you you instill that same type of vision in people with the right values, and we'll talk about values in a second, and you instill those same values, they adopt that same type of mentality and tenacity because they want to mirror what they see from their leader. Like, man, nothing stops the leader. I'm going to mirror that and I'm going to model that in my own life, right? We have three values, man, that I think are just, they govern everything. I mean, I think about these three values, Mike, in everything that I do. And I got these from, from one of my mentors, Roy Mason, who's a spiritual leader in my life, just like Mr. Ford is. And, and I learned these from him and I probably got these, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. And I, and I haven't stopped thinking about them and working on making these values stronger in my life every day. The first one is grace. These are the three G's. The The first one is grace. And and when you say the word grace, you kind of go, I don't, what, what, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch. You know, mm. the word grace is kind of like, what does that mean? Mm. And, and to me, I just think it, it simply means treating people better than they treat you and making allowances for other people's mistakes. You know, in the United States of America, I just think it's part of our our world culture now that when somebody treats us bad, the first thing that we want to do is immediately get revenge, right? Somebody did something bad to me. It could be really, really bad uh, where, where they hurt my family, and the thing that I want to do is get revenge. It's just naturally how people are set up. Yeah. I want to get even. I want to. I want to settle the score. I want to balance the 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 equation here. You hurt me. I hurt you back. An eye for an eye. And and I think that it's a way to live. But I think grace is such a higher standard of living, mm. where I treat people good even when they treat me bad. I do something nice for you even if you treat me wrong. And in 
think about what the world would be like if everyone lived by grace. Yeah, and and I think our side of that too is the grace on yourself. That's good. Right? That's the, good. The, the ability to give yourself grace for the mistakes that you make. Because you see how many people want to hang themselves because of mistakes that they made and beat themselves up. And it's like you, you're no different than you want to have That's that good. towards somebody. You got to have that on yourself because you, at the end of the day, whatever you're saying to yourself, you're listening. Yeah, I mean, right? I'm thinking of some people as soon as you say that. I, I'm thinking of some people that haven't given themselves grace and they've stayed in like a prison mm. of shame in a prison of guilt because they can't extend any grace to themselves to say, you know what? I screwed up. I made a mistake. I believe that we serve a God who constantly gives us more mulligans, Mm. right? Shanked another one into the woods (laughs) and he teased another ball up and said, all right, give it another shot, (laughs) right? Constantly giving us more opportunities. And I I, I think, uh, man, that's so good that that you said that. I always think about the way we treat others, but the way we treat ourselves is incredibly Mm. important. Yeah. The second G is gratitude. And and I, you know, gratitude is really the highest level of living. And and we talk about, I think it's starting to get a lot of noise about, you know, have a gratitude journal. And 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 we do an exercise, Mike, where I say, okay, set a timer for five minutes and grab a pen and write down as many things as as you possibly can that you're grateful for. And in most of the time, Mike, when I do this ex, uh, this exercise, it's just a list of people that I am so grateful that they're in my life that they've given to me so much, and 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 I'm you know the the value of them uh, it, it just continues to amplify, and and then sometimes it's stuff, and and then sometimes it's experiences and opportunities, and and when the gratitude increases, man, it's just like. The appreciation for life, mm. the appreciation for living, the appreciation for you, brother, in, in our time together. It just, oh, man, it just opens me up and I just I just feel more fulfilled, oh, right? Yeah. I feel so uh, joy-filled and happy when I'm living in a high level of, yeah. of gratitude. And, and I think it, you know, there's something with grati- gratitude that makes you present. Yeah, Right. It's, you know, when you're grateful for the things, you're actually paying attention to what's in front of you, Hmm. not what's coming. Yeah. Right. And and being grateful to be, man, that's like you said, right. Being here today, this is an incredible opportunity. I'm extremely grateful for this. Right. But I'm I'm intentional with that gratefulness, too, because it's like, man, there's nothing. There's a lot of things going on. Businesses doing its thing. There's mortgages or all this stuff outside of here. But like when you can be truly grateful and present. Very powerful. Man, I, I love that. I love that because it does keep you – it keeps you grounded. It keeps you here in now and not just focused on what I don't have or the thing that drives me more nuts than anything is is in the entitlement mentality. Yeah. Like somebody owes me. The government owes me. Other people owe me and I'm entitled to this. And I think that entitlement is just it's, – it's also an entrapment that gets people to feel like a slave to that thought that somebody owes me and, and I'm going to stay right here until they give it to me. Right. You're just looking for it. Yeah. Or, or the materialistic side of it yeah. where I can't be happy with what I have. I got to keep chasing more stuff yeah. to try to fulfill this happiness hole that's in my life. Mm. What's the third G? Third G is my favorite of all of them. It's the thing that gets me more fired up and motivated than anything else, brother. I mean, it's the thing that's just cha- it's just transformed everything in my life, whether it's coming to time or money, 
uh, or or a combination of anything else. It's generosity. Mm. Generosity, I think, is also the highest level of life and living. And we, we could we could sit here and have a, a conversation about money for the next five hours and, and we'd have more content than we'd be able to, to, to cover in that time. But to me, one of my greatest experiences in life and living, it's not from earning the big dollars and the big paychecks. I love that side of it. I love serving a lot of people and helping a lot of people and earning big paychecks. But to me, the greatest experience of my life is writing the big check to give it away to organizations where I can go some, do something beyond myself to make a difference in the life of this organization that's going to go beyond me to serve needs in our local community, mm-hmm. whether that's one church, whether that's uh, search, whether that is uh, with Royal Mason in, in his ministry in Africa, whether that's with uh, widows and orphans. There's so many ways that we can amplify our values in the world by being generous to give money, mm. to serve and give our time. But generosity, I mean, there's, I, I don't, it's tough to explain how awesome of a feeling it is to give. Now, Mike, before I got into this coaching journey, I was a little bit generous. But as, as this journey has progressed, I've challenged myself every year to give 1% more of my gross income away to organizations, and to individuals. And I can tell you that right now in 2024, we are at 24% of our gross income is what we give away. Wow. And every year we continue to to increase that. And I'll tell you, it's just some, it's one of the coolest things. We've 18% away to organizations, 6% away to individuals. And that's what, what Lisa and I have chosen to, to, to make the difference on. So we use the National Christian Foundation as our um, organization yeah. and accounting for, for giving to organizations. And then, this is so cool, and, and somebody listening to this is going to do this right now based on what I'm saying, is to open a separate checking account and just put money aside. 6% is what we do every month. We put 6% of our income aside in that checking account. And when we see a need, we meet the need Mm. immediately. And I'll tell you what, one of the coolest things in the world is when somebody says, my car broke down, and you say, you know what, I'm going to sell you $1,000 to take care of that car. My, My friend, one of my good friends and a guy that works for me, John Schwartz, he just had a heater breakdown in his house. He's got one of these old uh, oil heaters. Mm-hmm. He bought an old farmhouse. He's got an old oil heater. Daggone thing went out. And I'll tell you what, in January in Ohio, you don't want to have it's a bad so heater, chilly. bro. Yeah. You want to have a good quality heater. Yeah. So his oil heater, you're not in that business too, are you? Uh, I mean, we do, we, do, we do do it, yeah. Do you really? Mm-hmm. You might need to go to Fremont, yeah. Ohio and yeah. put it in. A, so he, uh, but, but his heater went out. And, and um, you know, I talked to him uh, in our daily team meet and talking to him and I'm thinking, man, why don't you take care of John? And and I'm able to zell over uh, cash to him to help, to help pay for this big need that, that he has in his life. And I just think that there's no, no greater feeling than being able to supply, to supply needs. And, and, and I like to think about everything from a spiritual perspective, not just a practical or, or physical perspective that, that I believe God 
is very generous to us. He's given us this life. He's given us these opportunities. He's given us money and skills and attributes and qualities that we can take, and and the more generous we are to serve needs and help other people, the more things come back to us. 100%. And it's up to us to not hoard and just keep these things for ourselves. The more generous we are, the more opportunities that we see. Yeah, man the more they just keep popping up. So I think we got to continue to push ourselves to grow, not just as CEOs, not just as leaders, not just as, as, as team builders and coaches and mentors. We got we to gotta continue to push ourselves to be yeah. more generous with our money and our resources to make life better for the people around us. And I think when we do, just everything around us gets better, bro. Well, and it's that it's kind of like that selfish side to it, right? It feels good to give, right? It's like that. It is the closest thing to God. I think it is what He's done for us, and us can us being able to provide that for other people. Um, do you remember probably two years ago I, we did that little foster? Well, Greg and them do the foster teen stuff yeah. for the. Yeah. Um, so I this past year got my five uh, what five and one three C nonprofit put together. Okay. Um, it's called Foster the Future. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. And so it's called Foster. We had our first annual event this year back oh, wow. in December. Yeah. And the whole focus of it, kind of taking what Greg did with the with the foster kids is basically creating a, you know, a non traditional education system for foster kids. Oh, wow. Right. And so everything I'm doing with like leadership and sales, I'm creating kind of a curriculum for the kids as well as we I go. I love that. I want to be involved in that. Yeah. That's you. what I said. I definitely want to have you. Yeah. Um, we, we just kind of, I think July, June or July, we've got the next like annual event, but we had our first one in December and, you know, had a bunch of people come out. The first one we ever threw ended up raising $17,000. Oh, it's great, dude. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I and love it. And we, we donated uh, stuff to give the kids Christmas presents, yeah. um, food, and then we brought the, we brought 35 foster teens in here to the office. Huh. And I brought in like two or three other business owners, let them talk to them. We got them Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. We got yeah. them notebooks. We got them CRC swag. Got them some backpacks um, and just spent a whole day just with these kids and educating them and let them come in and talk on the podcast with us. And, and man, it's just, it's, it's a, it was an incredible experience to be able to see just what happens when you have some of that belief in somebody. Yeah. Right. And, and I think as entrepreneurs or, you know, business owners and, and we have such a, a, a duty and obligation to, to create that for people because mm-hmm. we wouldn't be where we're at if it wasn't for the things that, that people have done for us Absolutely. along the way. Absolutely. We, it's, our, it's our job to pay it forward. Yeah. It's our job to, to give of ourselves. And you never know uh, when, when, when somebody's going to call out greatness. You or one of the people that are working on your staff are going to call out greatness in that individual, and that individual is going to do something that's going to influence and, and it affects so many other people all around them. Right. But it happened to us. You know, back in 2004, uh, the first day that I ever saw John Maxwell, I'm searching for success. I want to even understand what the word means. And, and John that day at that Chick-fil-A event, he said that successful people make decisions early in life and then they manage those decisions for the rest of their life. Mm. So if you can catch some of these young kids early on in their life, right, and you can help them start making some good quality electrical – what happened? What happened, dude? I, I, I think there's like, because I heard there was like an ice storm or something. We can cut it. You got it. 
We're good. Let's let's we'll, we'll close her out. Close it out now. Yeah. Yeah, man. It sounds we're, good. We're still. So that happened at thirty six minutes, thirty five minutes. Man, what the heck, man? Those two separate recordings. What's that? Two separate recordings. No, it's all on one, but I've marked the time down on every one when it when it's happened. Um, hit that hit that light there, Reese. I yeah, I wonder if it's just like because of the ice or maybe getting on the telephone poles and they get all. Yeah. Um. I mean, I also know that they were swapping something out out there, talking about it. I don't know if they were doing that today, but there was some electrical box they were messing with. Um. But you were saying, um, John Maxwell. Yeah, that successful people make decisions early in life, and then they manage those decisions for the rest of their life. So when you can take a, a, a young kid and you can help them start making good quality decisions early in life, those decisions compound, just like compound interest in our bank account when we make small deposits early on in life. By the time we get you know, into our 50s and our 60s, I'm not there yet, I'm in my 40s. But the, but, but the earlier that you start making those, the more that they have uh, grown and compounded over time. So I love what you're saying that you're doing with these young kids. You're helping them make decisions early in life that are going to turn into some great success over, over the course of their life. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the hardest things for me kind of doing it was when I first got into it, I'm like, how many foster kids? I see what, you know, one church is doing. And I'm like, there's X amount of foster kids in Columbus and here and there. And how do we do something that it helps them all and create this big impact? And I met with a local agency that's a private agency. And I kind of told him what my plan was. And he said, man, he said, Michael, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It it sounds awesome. I love where your heart's at. He said, it'll never work. Hmm. He said, the system is so flawed that, most of the things that get bought for these kids, they never get it. Hmm. He said, there's so many layers to it and contracts and this and that, where he said, dude, it's, you know, it, it's sad to see. He's like, that's, that's why we started our own agency because they were, I was seeing how just manipulated the system was, whether yeah. it was people with the handouts and there's all of these things. He said, dude, if you want to do something that's impactful, he says, start with one, right? He's like, I got 35 kids that are in my agency. Mm-hmm. He's like, start, start with one of those, start with two of them. Like if you can serve 35 of them, great. He said, but you need to create the system that helps the children, not you help the system. I love that. Yeah. And it was, it, it, it completely shifted my mindset to it. And like I said, it was awesome. They came in here. They're seeing that. And now, you know, for me, the big vision of it is, you know, every quarter having a, I want to do a mastermind for the kids. Okay. Right. So even say we, into one church, right? In yep. the auditorium. And you've got two or three speakers that come in for a day or two days and spend time with these kids. Then yep. every annual event that we do is fundraiser for that. And then every quarter doing, you know, a mastermind, even if it starts with 20 or 30, like what could potentially happen with something like that? Yeah. I think it's so cool, <clears throat> man, because just like me in 2004, when I heard John spark this idea of being successful, you know, making great decisions, creating a list of daily decisions that I'm going to make that are going to compound and and create the success. Those decisions are going to be the success. It's not going to lead to success. Those daily choices are the success. He says, uh, and he got this from John Wooden, and I just love this quote, that, that there's a choice that we have to make in everything we do. But remember, in the end, the choice you make makes you. Mm. And I think when you help young people, make choices, good quality decisions 
early in their life, and, and you can help them continue uh, to make good quality decisions. You're going to help to unlock some greatness in that young person's life, man. Yeah, man. And uh, I, I get excited about that. I get excited about it. We do it every year with Live to Lead. Yeah. I go into the high schools that are a part of the Teen Leadership Corps, and we give them that one-day event because I think it, you know if you can spark that greatness, that yeah. leadership attribute in somebody uh, at a young age when they're in high school, man, then they can unlock something yeah. that can lead them for the rest of their life. Mm. Man. This has been awesome, brother. I appreciate you coming on, Brian. Oh, man, I appreciate you having me. It's an honor to be on your I feel like we could go on for hours, you know yeah. what I mean? There, I got so many questions that I just kept writing down, and I'm like, I got a, I got three pages of notes here just from just from talking to I you, bro. You, brother. Well, you're a great inspiration to me. I mean, I just love, uh, you know, I think the the first real conversation that we had was a uh, at Michael's Steakhouse over a steak, yeah. and, uh, you know, you were telling me your story, and I... Uh, you know, I, I, I interview and I, I see a lot of people with Union Home, but, but I don't see very many people, if any, that have your passion mm. for success and growth Dude. and electricity. <laughs> <laughs> Is it on the – oh, yeah, here. It's still there. All right. Let's <laughs> wrap her up. Thank the – you can finish the compliment. I'll take it, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, no, I, seriously, I just I don't see a lot of people that have that that tenacity to push through pain and, 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 and setbacks. And I've watched you already overcome a lot of different things, whether it's monetarily, relationally, mm-hmm. and, and, and now to see you grow a, a $5 million operation plus. And, I mean, dude, I'm just I'm, – I'm proud of you. I'm happy to know you. I'm excited for your your future you continue to inspire me to get better i get better every time i'm around you bro so man thanks for having me on nah, brother likewise man and and you know it's again i'm just grateful to be able to have the connections and the people like yourself in my life and you know and the abilities that i've been able to learn from just watching and getting to spend time and, and i'll be honest with you i take it for granted i get to sit down with you today and i'm like man i gotta I got to do better at making sure that we connect well, more let's do and, it this year. and do that, man. For so. sure. This year, we'll make it a point to continually get yeah. together no less than once a month. How yeah, about that? That's good, my man. Well, Brian, and I appreciate you, dude. Thank you so appreciate much for coming you. on, bro. Yeah, man. Pleasure. Right. Thank you.